This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. You were just a face in the crowd. I feel like our next guest might appreciate, you know, face being in the crowd. strummed in by little Tom Petty. Yeah, He's a musician after all. Absolutely. So that lovely voice that you just heard is Roger McNamee. Uh, you know him well, investor, venture capitalist, uh, co-founder of the private equity firm Silver Lake, also partner of the VC firm Elevation Partners. I'm convinced he never sleeps. Um, his book now out in paperback. We're talking about Zucked, waking up to the Facebook catastrophe. Uh, and he added a new chapter. So he's in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Welcome, welcome. Jason, and I've been so excited about having you here. So congratulations, paperback. Well, thank you. And you know, the fun thing about writing a book in the first place is you have no idea. You know, the goal is not to be wrong. Right. <laughs> and what happened was in the year after the book came out, it, I discovered not only that I was basically right, but there were a lot of things wrong that weren't obvious when I wrote the book. So in fact, there, there are really four new chapters in the paperback. Oh, forgive where me. I took, well, no, it's easy to understand because two of them I, I rewrote because oh, okay. looking forward, our understanding of what we ought to be doing is really, really different now. And I wanted to give the readers an opportunity to be part of that. And so what changed? Like what occurred to you as you sort of went back through it for the paperback? Yeah. What jumped out at you that you felt like, okay, I've got to get this different or I've got to get this better or it, think of it as I added one chapter that brought the, the narrative forward right. then I added a chapter that essentially said what does all this mean and those right. two were brand new and then the two chapters on what to do both changed because what we understand now that we didn't before is what Shoshana Zuboff the Harvard professor talked about in her book the age of surveillance capitalism which is that there is an entire economic construct that essentially we've shifted the economy from being balanced on natural resources to being balanced on data. And in that context, every traditional industry is playing catch up to internet platforms like Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Microsoft. And that that's a really dangerous situation for investors because let's face it, most of our money is in traditional industries and there's not one out there that isn't being shall we say, at least displaced, if not disrupted by this. Man, it's like you were behind me while I was on a phone call earlier today. Jason and I are getting ready to go down to Miami to cover the Super Bowl, but we're going to do this power player summit with owners of teams and so on and so forth talking about sports. And I'm like, okay, so what's the biggest change, you know, the next era in sports? And they go, it's data. Using that data to create individualized experiences and, and so on and so forth, but it's data. But it's not just that. It's also that these platforms are increasingly the gatekeepers for every form of media. Right. And even sports is beginning to feel that effect. So when you put all that data in there, there's some benefits from it, but there's also some challenges because at the end of the day, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Microsoft have a lot more data and a lot more experience at using it. Right. And they know more about the audience than any content producer on earth. So the NFL, for example, probably knows 1% of as much about its audience as Google does. Right. And in that context, Google has an ability to leverage it, whatever relationship it has with the NFL to its benefit. But I do wonder... And we talk about this, too, that I think initially I'm like, I'm never going to have one of those home devices in my home. I know that they're going to be able to, they're just collecting more data. And yet, we're all buying in increasingly into it. Well, I think the thing that really scares me 
and this is the thing that that I talked about in the hardback, but where in getting to know Shoshana Zuboff, I now have a much deeper understanding of it, is there this massive marketplace in our personal data. In the United States, you don't have any rights with respect to your own data. And what happens is that every time you touch the digital world, whether it's a banking transaction or a credit card purchase or an airline ticket or using your cell phone with location and tweets and all that kind of stuff, anytime you're going around the internet, that data not only gets collected, mm -hmm. it gets sold. And if you're Google and Facebook, the data that you have on your users Maybe a 1% or 2% of it comes from their interaction with you as a platform. Most of it is coming from them tracking right. you relentlessly and then acquiring all this other data. Right. And now there are things we never thought about. You may remember last week there was a story about a company, a startup called Clearview AI. They scraped 6 billion photographs. They took them illegally in violation of the terms of service of Google, Facebook, Twitter, right. and others. And they created this application where you can identify anyone based on a single photograph and it doesn't even have to be a good one and hmm. you look at that and you go wait a minute they 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 took those photographs without authorization well who else did that mark zuckerberg that's how yeah. facebook got started right. and there's something about the culture of the tech industry today that what i i try to explain to government people is just like the chemicals industry in 1960 the medicine business in 1900, and the building trades after the great fires. Tech is so important to the economy that we can't allow the people who are in charge today to be the only ones who have a voice in policy. You know, the chemical industry, we decided they can't pour waste products like mercury into fresh water. That's, that just you can't do. Right. And I think you have to have the same kind of approach to tech. We have to sit there and go, I'm sorry, but... If you enable interference in a democratic election, that should be a crime, not a civil right. so, infraction. So you know, Ra that kind of stuff. Roger, we have a minute, then we're going to bring you back here. So, so if you could put one law down there right now, do it on social media, what would it be? So to protect the, the first, there are only three I want to do, but the one for immediately is I want to have a moratorium on targeted advertising for some period prior to any general election, at least seven days. But it's not just political ads, it's all targeting of ads and on all platforms because voter suppression over internet platforms is something that happens relatively late in the campaign and you need to clear some space. The French already have this, right. others are looking at it. That's a no-brainer. When we come back, I'll talk about the other two things I'd like to do. Roger McNamee is still with us. He's going to spend a little more time with us. And in these couple minutes that we have sort of in this interregnum, Roger, I want to ask you, you're here in New York City. What's the culture of no, sort of New York tech versus Silicon Valley right now? So I think New York tech is really cool. You know, there was a long time when New York tech was, you know, people wearing a certain style of clothing and hanging out in hotel lobbies. Right. Yeah. And a lot of really cool things are going on in New York. And I, I believe it's past that point where you know it's real. And so much of what's going on is media related now in the tech world and new york is the home of media and so yeah. it is a natural place for that to happen plus i think new york has caught a lucky break in that the culture of silicon valley has gotten really weird when i came up we all followed steve jobs it was this notion that technology was there to empower the people who used it and you know i'm a huge believer in capitalism I'm a huge believer in entrepreneurship and innovation but Silicon Valley today, 
Ooh, it's much more move fast. It's break things. It's it's bro culture. It's very and it's sad because the technology now is more predatory. You know, it's this idea of I'm you know like we were talking about Clearview right. AI. I'm just going to steal these six billion photos because nobody's going to stop me. And I think we're better than that. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that in New York, you know, you'll have enough cross fertilization with traditional media culture that the values that come across may not be perfect, but at least they're better than the predatory thing that is so dominant value. And I'm really hopeful that the value, when we wash this this generation of startups out, which surely looks like is happening now, that maybe we'll get back to something right. that I can be excited about again. Because the problem is the tech. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week, continuing our conversation with Roger McNamee. His book, Zucked, Waking Up to the Facebook Catastrophe, out in paperback, refreshed, revised, some new chapters. He was telling us a little bit about that. And Roger, great to have you still with us. So talk to us about what happens next from a regulatory perspective or what you would propose. You talked about this sort of moratorium uh, around elections, but what else would you do? So the most important thing for people to understand is there is no solution that comes just from us changing our behavior. We need to have regulation. Mm. And the reason we need to have it is that this industry is too important. Tech really matters, and we need it to not do harm. The same way we need the chemical industry not to pollute the water and not to pollute the ground, the way we needed drugs that didn't include quack medicines that kill people. So that's my basic logic. And I think there are three things to do. First, I want to ban algorithmic amplification. If you think about it, your news feed on Facebook, your search results are not actually the result of things you're doing. They are the stuff that those platforms are putting in front of you to maximize their gains. And the problem is that they want to hold your attention all the time. The best way to do that is to appeal to flight or fight. Mm-hmm. Think of that as hate speech, disinformation, and conspiracy theories. We cannot help but look at it because our native instincts of self-preservation require us to pay attention. And so they are pushing hate speech, disinformation, and conspiracy theories for profit. And I don't think that should be allowed. I would ban that entirely. The third, the, I mentioned the algorithmic mm-hmm. invocation. I mentioned the micro-targeting, which we want to ban in the weeks before an election. The third thing is I want to shift the focus of data from control by corporations to control by the individual. Mm-hmm. And the term that you use there is I want to have opt-in to using my data rather than opt-out. Today, people can do whatever they want, and maybe you can turn it off, maybe you can't. I want the default that they have to ask permission every time they do it. If I take a ride from Uber... I do not want Uber sharing my data with Google and other people. I do not want them keeping my data and then using it for something else I don't know about. And so at the end of the day, those changes really do matter, and they're all completely doable. They are not, if you will, out of line with the kinds of things we've done in industries historically. And frankly, they would enable a whole new wave of innovation to happen, which I think is super important. That last point, I mean, that was underneath GDPR in the EU, right? Was that not enough or was that the model? GDPR was a great idea as we understood the industry at the time. And in the past year and a half, two years, we've come to understand that privacy is just one of four harms happening here. We have the damage to democracy, 
we have the damage to public health, you know, kids and adults, and we have the damage to competition in addition to privacy. And they all come from this business model of surveillance capitalism, which is why you need to go at the root elements of it, algorithmic amplification, micro-targeting, and then the opt-out model. Oh, I'm sorry, please finish. No, it's just, the thing I would just say to people is that I believe that technology is not the problem here. It's business models. And I don't think the people are bad people. They just have a different value system. They value efficiency more than anything else, which if you're an engineer makes sense, right? Right. But when you apply that to society, you run up against the basic values of the enlightenment, which is to say democracy and self-determination. Those are inherently inefficient. If every one of us were forced to wear exactly the same clothes, that'd be super efficient. But that's totally un-American. And if, if everybody tells you how to vote, that would be very efficient, but un-American. Right. And my point here is, we shouldn't have that. We can have tech coexist with society without doing harm. So I'm curious, because you were an early mentor to Mark Zuckerberg, and now you're basically saying, here's this thing you created that has created an awful lot of problems. Do you guys have conversations? No, I, I wish. Seriously. I, if you, so if I, you could sit down with him, what would you say? I would say exactly what I just said yeah. to you. I would say, Mark, you can be the hero in your own story because he can do more good by changing the business model of Facebook than he can with a thousand Chan Zuckerberg initiatives or any other foundation. The reality of this thing is that for whatever reason, there's no one in his immediate orbit who's been able to give him perspective to understand this problem. And the same is true at Google, it's true at Amazon, it's true at, to a lesser degree at Microsoft, and those are the four big players in surveillance yeah. capitalism. And again, I, I would love to talk to Mark, but I last communicated with him on the 30th of October of 2016 when I warned him that I thought there was something catastrophic going on related to democracy and related yeah. to uh, civil rights. and you know, he got right back to me, but they were incredibly dismissive. And I spent three months pleading with them privately that this was like the Tylenol poisoning at Johnson and Johnson, that yeah. there's one right answer. And that is to, to work with the, the authorities to find out what the problem was and do everything you can to protect the people who use your product. And for whatever reason, Facebook chose not to do that. Just got 30 seconds. How quickly do we catch up on the regulatory side uh, is, it, and, it, and, and create those, you know, like we wouldn't have people taking bad drugs. So. It, 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 these things are not going to happen overnight, but they don't have to happen everywhere in the world at once. We can do one piece in many different jurisdictions and get the same effect. These guys are so automated that if you make a change in one jurisdiction, they will implement it globally. Yeah. GDPR has had a profound impact everywhere. It didn't solve the problem because right. these guys were allowed to control the, 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 the way people signed up, so they tricked them into not signing up. Right. But we can, we can solve this problem, but we gotta get on it. We have to make it an election issue because you can't solve climate change, you can't solve anti-vax, you can't solve gun violence until you get these guys to right. not amplify right. dangerous the, people. The All messages right. that get amplified, right? What a pleasure. Thank false. you so much. Roger McNamee, cool. co-founder of Elevation Partners. His book, Zucked, Waking Up to the Facebook Catastrophe. New paperback out February 3rd. Pick it up. Read it again. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. I've been so psyched about this conversation. I have to say, I've been talking a bunch about it to 
everyone in the newsroom because it's rare that you get to interact with a true sort of multi-hyphenate in a lot of ways. Uh, and our next guest surely is that. T.D. Jakes is the chairman of the T.D. Jakes Foundation. We're going to talk a lot about that. But he is, by all accounts, sort of a mastermind, a pastor. He's got his hands in so many uh, different pies. Really great to have you here with us in New York City. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. Thank you both. All right. So tell us about the foundation because you are going after what I think is one of the most pressing issues of our day, which is sort of filling that gap between people who need to hire folks mm -hmm. and folks who want jobs. It's, it doesn't get much more complicated or simple than that. You know, it's a very important issue, uh, particularly uh, with the disenfranchised, whether you're talking about uh, black, brown, or female, they're underrepresented, particularly in STEM programs, technological mm -hmm. programs. The divide is so wide and the technology is moving so rapidly that it that though we are at 8% unemployment right now, we're scheduled to be at 20% if we don't close that divide with technology, science, technology, uh, engineering, and math. We added another component to it from STEM to STEAM uh, because the stats say that when you add the arts, you are far more apt to get more people involved and it's kind of a gateway uh, into studying technology. It's all that left, right brain. You need it all, right, I think, to be really successful. Why are we still struggling with this, um, Bishop Jakes? Because I feel like we know there's a problem about access uh, and equality for everyone in terms of an education, especially for the STEM or STEAM field. Mm -hmm. um, why is it still a problem? Because the awareness, we get it. We know there's a problem. Schools are working on scholarships, but it still is a problem. The arts have been underfunded in school. That's one of the problems that we have to face. The, the other problem is in no part of our lives have we caught up with technology, which is moving so rapidly. Our laws have not caught up with yeah, technology. So that's a real problem. And then when you start thinking about our laws not catching up, our uh, job searches have not caught up with them and into the culture and the fabric of people outside of Silicon Valley and pockets of uh, technology, there's an indifference to the subject as if we uh, it's an optional issue when in fact it is not optional at all and people who don't get in are going to be left behind in a way that I think is going to be tragic and it's going to be detrimental to the country. And so how do you make that case to business leaders? Because as we've seen with something like climate change, business leaders only really engage when they feel like there's an existential threat. Are they sensing that at this point? How do you make the case to those leaders? You know a lot of them. Yes, I know a lot of them. And a lot of companies today are focusing on diversity and inclusion. And so it's not a hard case to make to right. them that there is a need to do that. And in many instances, the criteria requires that in order to do business, that your boards and that your company be more diversified than ever before. Right. However, <laughs> there's still a great divide when it comes to how do I get in touch with the people? People. Great programs are out there, but the people who need to know about the programs don't hear the information. Interesting. So just because you put something in the Wall Street Journal doesn't mean that it reached the underserved communities. And so we want to be a liaison and a bridge to help facilitate mm -hmm. accessing those uh, talents that do exist and cultivating those that do not. 
And so how do you how do you get that message out? What's the mechanism that you have to get it there? Uh, about uh, 30,000 members in my church and almost 30 million people on my social media database creates uh, my own media hub oh, within that's, itself. That's a, okay. that's a pretty substantial. I just want to say, stop right there, because Jason and I are just struggling with a few thousand people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we just, later on, we're going to talk, and you're going to help We're going to get your strategy on that. Um, but that's a great platform. And can I, I just want to say something. You talked about diversity and inclusion. Someone said to me, diversity is getting an invitation to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. That's right. And I thought that is such a telling thing. It's not just about being brought in, but you, you've got to be asked to do a significant role, right? It's yes. got to be deeper. And, and in this case, you may be prepared to do mentoring programs to teach me how to dance. Right. Because a lot of people are underqualified for these positions. And we have to rethink how we educate, how we implement, how we mentor, how we develop. If inclusion is really the goal that we have, and I hope that it is, because we have right now today 700,000 jobs that are available right now in tech industry right. that we don't have anybody to fill. Right. And right. when you look at that and you understand that we have 23% of African Americans are living below the poverty line, then that's an opportunity. It's either a, either a disaster or an opportunity. So here we are in a political year. Are politicians listening? Because are we... are. Is that they all talk of, about jobs. Is that pool of workers better off today than they were you three know, years I, ago? I used to think like that. I used to think that it was about the politicians, but I am totally convinced that it is not about the politicians totally. I think they need to be, have a seat at the table. Four different entities need to have a seat at the table especially for the African-American community. Faith leaders need to be included mm -hmm. at the table because we are the gateway to the community. And most CEOs don't understand that. They are so afraid of faith because they're in the mainstream world. They right. don't understand that the church is the hub to our community. The politicians do. Yeah. Because anytime they want to oh, get elected, yeah. they, should, they, they show right They're up. They're showing up a lot on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, they days, show right, right <laughs> up on Sunday. Just happen to be in the neighborhood. Yeah. But the CEOs are just coming into an awareness that we can be an asset and a facilitator, that we can market their jobs, that we can do things. That are they, they working? We just got about 30 seconds. Are they reaching out to you and say, let's fix this? I'm seeing some progress in that okay. regard. Our Texas Offenders Reentry Initiative has taken 23,000 formerly incarcerated and worked them through the system. And we've wow. been partnering with companies. Uh, like AT&T sat down with Randall right. Stevenson. He gets it. Several others are starting to get it. We just want to be a bridge between those who have the need and those who have the opportunity. We are just delighted you stopped by to see us, uh, Bishop Jakes, and really look forward to spending more time with you and understanding Come back. and uh, talk to us some more. figuring out how this initiative goes. T.D. Jakes, chairman of the T.D. Jakes Foundation, as I said, so much more than that. A multi-hyphenate, one of the most influential voices, certainly across the country.